Hey friends, and thank you for tuning in to the Occlusal Table, where we bridge dentistry with business, culture, and current events. I'm your host, Taylor Jackson, and if you like what you hear, please be sure to give us a follow on Instagram at Occlusal Table Pod, and share this episode with your friends, family, and colleagues. And for today, our first video of our Match Day series, where we'll be taking a deeper look into dental residencies and discussing what it takes to become an orthodontic resident. Let's get started. All right, so for today, we have my classmates, Christina Aponte and Jared Fletcher, and they will go right ahead and introduce themselves. Hey, thank you so much, Taylor. Yes, I'm Christina Aponte. I am also a fourth year at Mary Medical College. I completed my undergrad over in Buffalo, New York, and I just recently matched into Bronx Care Health System for their three-year ortho residency. And super excited, just excited to give you guys some tips today. Hi, everyone. I'm Jared Fletcher, uh, originally from Natchez, Mississippi. I am also a fourth year in Mary Medical College. did my undergrad at uh, Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. And I recently matched to Texas A&M University in Dallas, Texas. Well, I am so proud of you guys. I know I tell you guys that all the time. <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump into these questions. So the first, the most common question, why ortho? Yeah, for me, um, for personal reasons, uh, I had uh, orthodontic surgery right before dental school. I had it twice. And so... For me, it was always on the radar going into dental school, but I really wanted to keep my options open, especially since I actually had not treated, treated any patients in the clinic yet. Um, but it just seemed like all roads led always back to ortho. And then with my case specifically, um, there was a little bit of relapse that followed. And so just you, I start rabbit, I would start rabbit holding down to the Google Scholar and seeing, you know, whether other patients with similar cases to mine. Um, and it was just, it seemed to be a very, um, a rarity in the ortho world. So I would go on externships and bring up my case and professors would say, oh, don't worry about that. That never happened. I said, well, you know, it happened to me. And so it could happen to other people. So really it was just, if not me, then who? So. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, why I chose ortho when I was maybe around 11 or 12, I used to get bullied a lot about my diastema. So um, not there anymore. So uh, it kind of led me to ask my parents all the time to get braces, get braces. And when I finally got it, uh, it just gave me a place where I felt comfortable and they gave me the confidence to, you know, smile and, be around my friends and actually joke and and it made life a little bit easier because it was one less thing for me to worry about uh as far as my self-confidence so it really gave me the opportunity to kind of discover who I was without the mental uh like the mental stake of having to worry about other things that take my focus away from you know academia and actually making friends and being comfortable with people. So I just wanted to do that for other people. And that's my reason for why it worked out. Awesome. So then <clears throat> let's jump 
all the way back into third year, maybe even second year when preparing for the application process. Um, what were you looking for in a residency? Like, how did you narrow down your choices, uh, the different criteria that you guys had when researching different residencies? How did you know um, which ones to look at or which ones were on your radar? What was important to you? Location, uh, the, the amount of tuition, getting paid or a stipend? What was it for you guys? Yeah, there are very few programs that pay in the ortho world, which can be incredibly frustrating, especially if you're looking at how much you already paid for for dental school. So for me, I looked at location with dental school. I knew I didn't want to rely on just that this time around. So honestly, I I really didn't know what I didn't know. So it became a matter of um, just a lot of Googling, sure, but also going on LinkedIn, seeing who's at which program and and which dental schools they went to and then picking their brains and then conversations with them. I started to see, they'll start talking about lasers. They'll start talking about different um, technology that's in there um, at their programs, offered at their programs, or even are they able to request new technology to use on particular patients that may benefit from that? There were so many little tidbits that I just had never considered to even ask program directors. And so for me, it was, it was probably right up until, if not during interview season, you're still learning little things that you may want to ask programs. So I would say my advice to my, my second year self would have been to start that process a lot earlier and to not assume that, okay, I want to see a wide variety of cases. Okay, great. Every program director, when you tell them that, will nod their heads and it just kind of glazes right over just because... They hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it'd be more important to focus on like the deep, like little details. You may see it on the website, but really talking to residents um, as far as having a better understanding of what you even want to look for in a program. Uh, for me, let's see. Main reason I like how I did my initial search was, of course, money wise, I'm not trying to, you know, be a super broke dentist, you know, and then kind of location. Um, I've always had my heart in the South. So I was kind of looking in that region and um, I somewhat like the East Coast. So I looked up there as well. So those are the main things. The final thing just came down to really family being close to family. So um, everything else didn't really matters so much to me at the time uh of course I want to learn as much as I can but you can't really I don't think I was able to gauge that as well because until I actually got there in person and was able to see what they have talk to the residents and see what they're able to show me in person because I feel like with uh you know not being there they can tell you whatever you want to hear um and really the websites don't have much. They all say the same thing, in my opinion. And you're like reading, oh, well, we see this many cases. Well, you know, COVID's around, so you don't see that many patients. And none of the, none of it's updated, like for the most part. So uh, I think for me, I don't think anything would have, I'm kind of like a go with the flow guy anyway. So I wouldn't have done anything differently, but the, I think the biggest part of what I learned like the actual decision-making came when I actually went in person and saw these programs. And now I'm able to see 
what they have, you know, how genuine the people are. And that really helped me make my decision as to where I wanted to be in the end. Nice. So then even jumping into uh, tips for your CV and building that, I know that you guys are both very involved. So if you can touch on the different uh, organizations that you were a part of, as well as um, any tips for building your CV or what is any type of organizations or leadership positions that you found that residencies were looking for uh, when it came down to selecting who to interview? Uh, yeah. So for the CV, it's, you know, it's helpful to have a periodic review of your CV. But of course, dental school gets so crazy that it can, next thing you know, it's application season and your CV is not ready and you're scrambling to get everything together. Um, so thank God for the search bar and your Google mail. But um, yes, I was involved with ASDA. I was a district board trustee last year um, during COVID. Very interesting time. Very, so of course, making sure that my CV catered, catered to what being a district trustee looked like in, in a COVID world. Um, so with that, I also was involved with the ADA. Um, but I would say as far as using your CV to stand out and to get those interviews, it seemed like at least during the actual interview in, in, in person um, that directors were asking me about like the skills section always at the bottom. So like, if I had put, like I had done CrossFit for a while, so they were all asking about that. They were all asking, oh, you you did acting for a little bit. Oh, you play the guitar. That was always something that was talked about during interviews. So it's almost like they look at the first page and then they skip to the bottom. Um, that's not to say, you know, that they didn't read all of everything, but they are very busy. And so to make sure that, you know, use everything you can to stand out. And we all have a life outside of dental school. And um, so definitely put those things on there. They will look. Mm, for in my like for me with the CV, I did. Uh, I feel like in my interview trails, I only really had one school uh, like that really actually knew what I did um, and seemed to kind of want to focus on that. For the most part, I felt as if I was kind of relaxed, especially with. Uh, Texas A&M, just because it was more so just trying to get to know me as a person, as opposed to, hey, we see this on paper, let's just talk. And that's what I really enjoyed about, you know, that particular interview. So I feel like the pro, like the, the organizations are also, you know, very important, but I feel like they're more so an eye grabber. Uh, so like I did SNDA, I did ASTA, I was uh, part of Ortho Club. Um, I do a few mentoring programs, uh, but I feel like that's just to, in my opinion, just to kind of show that you're, you know, well-rounded. You don't want to be a person that just sits around and studies all day and has like the highest GPA, nor do you want to be the person with a low GPA, but you're in all of these clubs, or you have a great GPA and you're in all of these clubs, but you have no extracurriculars of like leisure time. Like, you know, you don't do anything outside of school. So I think the CV, you know, you just want to kind of um, center it around making yourself seem like you are involved in everything, you know, um, from school to uh, just, you know, 
everyday life? Like, what do you like to do for fun? I got asked about mixed martial arts and stuff like that. Or I got asked about um, artistry, like Christina said, like skills, you know. So they want to know your hobbies, too, just to see that you are a person that, um, you know, can stay sane throughout school. Because if you don't have hobbies, I, I just you may be a bit of a psycho if that's all you do at school. So, yeah, that's my take on the whole CD process, but. Right. It's all about showing how human you are. Right. Um, and what better way of doing that than through your hobbies and everything. But also that's reflected in our personal statement, too. Right. And I feel like that's where a lot of people have a bit of a bump in the road when it's saying, well, what do I need to write about? Like I've completely changed, you know, from who I was pre as a pre-dent to now as a dental student. Um, and with that, how did you know? Um, like how to reconstruct your personal statement uh, or how did you know how to share your story? Uh, I know a lot of people do look at their dental school personal statement and then kind of revamp it from there. I think that that's beneficial in to see how much you've grown. Personally, I basically trashed it all and then started over. It was basically like that first draft was just like word vomit. I had to get out in the paper. In fact, I asked my friend to look at it because he, he works in admissions and we were, Zoom, we were on a Zoom call and he goes, okay, that's done. Now let's actually write what you need to write. And I'm like, what do you mean? This is my first draft. Um, but you need someone to be very honest with you, especially with that first draft, because um, you are stressed and, and you don't know exactly what you want to include. And so much has changed um, since you started dental school. So um, I know I, I had... Some people were looking to go straight to professors to get that first edit in. Personally, it, what worked for me, again, is talking to friends because whether they're in the dental world or not, um, it's still important to see how easy of a read that your personal statement would be. Um, and then moving on to those professors and potentially residents that you may know that you're friends with or that you're connecting with over Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever the case is. Um, but that personal statement, at least for me, my first draft, I started in January and I didn't feel confident in it until April. Um, but again, that's just periodic review and waiting for people to get back to me, you know, two, three weeks. Um, so definitely, again, start early. That winter break is like, it's so nice for just sitting down with yourself, having the time to reflect on who you are and what you want to say. Uh. Yeah, so I did the same thing Christina did. Like I just started from scratch because I don't, um, I don't even remember what I wrote about in dental school to be honest. But to get here, but um, I know my first read just through recommendations was uh, like to you know send my stuff over to Dr. Lavelle and public health, and she's like. Uh, of course, you all know she's very honest. So like the first draft, she was just like, you know, trash pretty much. Um, and then I gave it to I went through Dr. House, another person that's very vocal, you know, and he doesn't hold back at all. So he was like trash, you know. So uh, that really and that probably was my first first and second draft from over Christmas break. So. Um, thought I knew what I wanted to write about. And then I realized, you know, it's just not where it is. So uh, probably, probably didn't finish until 
when we started something like May, I think. I don't remember when it opened up, but I probably didn't finish until that was probably like the last thing I finished. Um, so around May sometime, I actually finished my final edit and my thought process after I saw that, you know, I was being too, too generic in my response, trying to keep it too, uh, I guess, too political in the sense that I would, I wanted to give them something they wanted to hear versus more so making it personable to me. So I talked about how, uh, you know, where I'm from in Natchez, Mississippi kind of led me to the whole process of uh, going to dental school, some of the things I would like to do as far as dentistry in the future, and just related them all back to my story in a way of, um, well, actually, Taylor J helped me a lot too. So I don't want to leave her out. So yeah, just kind of relating my story back to my whole process and, you know, in a page and making sure it's effective, but it also gave off who I am as a person so that they would want to meet me. It's just like little weird things that would keep, you know, catch their attention. Like, uh, I know the main thing I got asked about everywhere I went was uh, because I talked about fear being a propelling force for me to find success in everything I do. And um, I don't think that's a perspective a lot of people take on fear, how fear can push you to do things and succeed in life. And, you know, uh, so just using like little things like that to catch attention because you want to, you know, make sure those first few lines are eye grabbing and because they probably won't read the rest thoroughly. So. So then you talked about, you know, um, going to different professors uh, so that they can, you know, see your personal statement and see your story from in a uh, different perspective, right? So with that and going into your letters of recommendation that you do need, um, I think you need what, three, a minimum of three? Do you guys need three or do you guys need all five? I think it's a minimum, uh, definitely a max of five. You don't need all five, but it depends on the program. Okay. Um, and so then with that, uh, how did you, you know, maneuver getting those letters of recommendation? Did you get them all from professors at school? Did you get them from people that you shadowed with? Did you have like a packet that you put together? Um, when, and even when, when did you ask, when is the right time to ask for a letter of recommendation? Um, so that, you know, the letter writers have more than enough time (laughs) to complete those letters. Yeah, that timing thing, Uh, because there are so many things outside of your control when it comes to application season, which is so frustrating, but it is part of part of the process. So uh, for the the ortho chair, definitely reaching out to her. It was January. Um, And as far as you asked about a packet, Taylor, um, no packet, but because it was a COVID world for us, it was an email which I hate asking for letters of recommendation over email. Um, But with the ortho chair specifically, I had asked her over the phone and then I had a follow-up email with her, like in regards to my uh, letter of recommendation request, you know, here's my CV. As I explained, here's my, I didn't give her my personal statement. I said I was still editing because again, I was not confident in it at that time, Uh, but my CV was done. And then I had a formal letter uh, attached as well. Um, with hitting like those five uh, 
five characteristics that ortho programs are looking for. So, you know, honestly, the more you Google, the more different, the more variance and responses you'll find. But yeah, you'll see like flexibility and maturity, communication. Those are really the big ones. And then examples of how I showcase that. That was probably harder to write than the entire application itself because it's so specific and you really have to dig deep. But um, but yeah, so I reached out to her about that. And then that letter was in on time. Um, I also asked the the Dean of Academic Affairs, but then my other letter or my recommenders, um, I asked them later and I wanted to time it out appropriately. So for example, my work with the ADA, I knew we had a meeting in April. And so I was going to see one of the individuals in person and I wanted to ask him then. Um, One thing I did not think about until after the whole application process was over with was asking people who potentially worked in Nashville or back home for me uh, that were alum of programs that I was looking at to have a letter from them. If I had a relationship with them, that would have been like a like gold star on my application. But again, I, I hadn't thought about it till later. Um, but uh, yeah, I really, I, I did not have a problem with, with um, having my letters in on time, but I know that some of my classmates did. Um, and that again is just part of part of the process. So trying to get you know everything in order in January with what you can control. Um, I uh, I kind of figured out who I wanted to ask based on um, conversations with. Uh, I'm gonna name drop people or whatever. Uh, like Kenneth Carter and um, Raven Douglas, like they kind of helped me gauge who I wanted. And I initially wanted to ask someone outside just because ortho is something I've always shadowed. So I know a lot of orthodontists, but um, when I got here, I talked to an orthodontist and he said, it's probably not the best idea to ask a practicing orthodontist just because of the hierarchy and the importance of the letters, how much weight they hold. Um, So I I ended up not going with anybody on the outside. So I asked all professors um, and the way I kind of chose them is like, a. I guess it makes sense in my mind, kind of, uh, like you, I ask, uh, one person that's over, you know, community outreach, one person over public health, one person, maybe academic affairs, ortho group. And so now, uh, in my mind, it kind of shows, Hey, he's involved because they have to, you know, put this stuff on the letterhead. So it's like, okay, he has all these things and he's he interacts with all of these important people you know that have uh, specific jobs in different areas uh so maybe that makes me look more well-rounded you know in the end so i had more of a strategy to i didn't really care who i asked it was just more of uh you know strategizing and making sure um you know those people could one, write the best letter they could about me, but also uh, send two messages at one time, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, that's t- and I send all of my stuff in January because I'm a pest about stuff like that. My, You know, I, I hate that I can't, you know, I can't control when they send the letters. And um, one letter ended up falling through for me. So I asked five just to make sure, uh, you know, I had enough. Um, for different deadlines and stuff like that, I would at least have the three already. 
But uh, yeah, I'm I'm obsessed about stuff like that. So I asked them, I asked everybody in January, and maybe every two to three weeks, I say, hey, got it coming up. Another three weeks, hey, still waiting on you, you know. So um, that's just the type of person I am. But that's the you know process I took with asking for letters of rec. And that's the thing, too. I mean, our professors can be so busy. (laughs) So then it's like you give them, you know, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine months almost in advance. Um, And this is not to, you know, um, dog them out or anything, but it's like they do have a lot on their plate. So going up to them, even I've had a professor even come up to me and saying, hey, you know, I am not offended if you keep on asking me about this um, because, you know, it needs to get done. Right. Especially if they did agree to write that letter. Uh, but even with looking more at being well-rounded, let's go ahead and dive right on into externships. So especially since Meharry doesn't have an ortho program, um, do you, when's the best time to go on externships? When is it too early? When is it too late? Do you advise going to the programs that are like your top programs or ones that you apply to? Or should you, you know, go to ones that, you know, are kind of like in the middle ground on your ranking list? So what do you guys suggest when it comes to externships? How many? Yeah. uh, So, again, the past couple of years have just been kind of strange with with covid limitations but still it does not it never hurts to ask whether you see it on their website that they have an externship whether it's as if the externship is, is you know discontinued for the time being given the state that we're in um or even if it is just ask there's always there's site visits available uh, i did that actually at texas a&m um even though they don't publicize it that way um that you can do virtual observation opportunities on Zoom where they'll let you sit in on the classroom while they discuss a case report or whatever they're discussing that day. Uh, they'll even see if you have any questions. They'll ask you, like, they'll ask you questions sometimes. Um, so I did that at a few programs. Um, I'll just give a shout out to the Mayo Clinic. Their externship was a whole week. Uh, you do have to to pay for your stay, but it's not like you have to pay to be um, to take part of the externship. But that was the most incredible opportunity, and again, it's a whole week. So coming from Meharry, where we don't have uh, an ortho residency, you know, at home, it was nice to see how how it's done. Um, but that being said, as far as going on externships, maybe at your top program, I would say maybe not as your first externship, uh, because I took those externships as opportunities for like interview practice because they're going to ask you that why ortho question they're going to ask you what are your future plans and they're not going to be afraid to say well why would you do that if you know why would you only want to treat complex cases if medicaid doesn't really finance them most of the time uh you know again talking about how much we don't know at this point in time you know i'll cut a class too but i don't know anything about the medicaid stipulation um and then that's my i mean that's my opinion. Given that I also, the, the places I did do externships at, I did not get an interview. In fact, I did an externship after interviews were released at one program. Um, I didn't plan it that way. It's just how it all worked out. And it was very awkward uh, because they were talking, the residents were talking about interview day right in front of me. And whether they knew I was going, not interviewing at that program or not, it, it was still very uncomfortable. 
because you already feel like you're in the way and just needless to say, I'm glad I'm not at that program. Um, but uh, even some residents I talk to like, oh, do you have virtual opportunities? Do you have, you know, site visits? No, we don't, but that's a great question. Let me ask my program director about that. So now you're getting your name in the door in a completely different positive way that most other applicants um, don't have. So I, I mean, I think externships are a positive thing. And as far as timing with your school curriculum, I know that they're going straight to the, um, the INBDE. So given that timing, studying for that and the GRE, um, really taking a look your second year to see when those externships would fit based on how long each uh, externship lets you stay. Uh, me, I didn't go on. I was supposed to go on a. So, answer in order. Uh, I think the second year is probably like after second year was the best time for us. Um, I don't know how every school you know does their testing and stuff like that, but um, us having taken part one after first year, being free after second year, it made like that summer. Uh. Let's see what well actually no. What we started 2018, finished 2019. Yeah. So after, yeah, so when COVID first hit, like that was the prime time for us to go on externships. But because of COVID, um, I was supposed to go to UPenn for an externship and that got canceled. Um and me not really knowing anything about like COVID at the time or you know how cautious I needed to be, I just didn't, you know. Um, take the chance. Uh, I did go to one program and because of like how the interview process played out this time around, um, I can't really, I don't, unless you don't have an ortho program at your school, I don't see that externships are very, uh, beneficial in my experience just because um you know you can get to the program you can like it uh they can appear to like you as well and then you know when the time comes around and you apply uh it it almost it's almost like a you know stab in the back feeling almost that you don't even get an interview at some of the places you you know took out the time because usually when you externate places these are places you really want to go to um so, uh, in my opinion, I got interviews at all places I didn't extern. Um, the only place I came close to externing with was uh, VCU. They have a virtual externship, and she remembered my name when I got there. So, I thought that was pretty cool. She Just from email. I didn't even attend the virtual externship, but she remembered my name. Um, but you know, other than that, just, you know, I didn't have any interaction with any of these schools uh, before I applied and before I went to the interview. So um, me personally, I can't say that they're beneficial, nor, you know, uh, they may be beneficial to, you know, getting selected. But I mean, it's kind of like a toss up thing. You just don't know. So, And also something that I forgot to um mentioned before too, is that, uh, the GRE preparation, um, when did you guys take that? What's a good score? Um, you know, do, do you think that that kind of 
made or uh, make you or break you when it came to getting an interview at certain schools? Yeah, the GRE, uh, I would say more, at least in my, what I've seen and heard, um, there's the most, the most mixed information when it comes to the GRE and expectations for it. And um, when you contact program directors or residents or faculty, they'll all say like, you know, do your best. Uh, I had one faculty member say it has to be the 90th percentile. I didn't get an interview there. I did not get in the 90th percentile, um, but there was no clear cut number of what exactly was ex- um, expected or if there was a cutoff for applicants. Um, I took mine uh, March 1st. So I had studied for it over winter break, which actually was just very, honestly, I was just overwhelmed with personal statement, CV, letter of recommendation request. And I, that was such a waste thinking about the studying that took place during that time. Um, I was trying to like basically read Webster dictionary and that's not helpful for anything. Um, but so definitely ask people how to study for that. I would say, um, because you don't want to waste time during winter break when everyone is having fun with their friends and you're studying for GRE. Um, so you want to make the most of your time. But I mean, yeah, maybe Jared has a different experience. I just never received a clear cut answer of what was a good score. Uh, From what I've heard, uh, like some of the programs say 60 percentile. I know UNC has a cutoff of, you know, 60 percentile in all categories. Um, If you don't, you know, get those, you don't even get an interview. So. Uh, I know I was like one percentile off for them and I just, you know, never got a call at all. So I didn't think it would be that big a deal, but some schools do um, way heavy on it. Uh, When I went to uh, one school, they asked me about it. They said it was, you know, lower than what they uh, usually see, which I didn't think it was uh, that big a deal. But that's the perception, and you know, that's what people kind of lead you to believe it's not that big a deal. So, uh, for me, I originally I planned to take it after second year, but our school, uh, the clinic time, or yeah, no, actually, the classes got prolonged, so that took up my summer to study for it. So, um, I studied over Christmas break and took it January 4th. Um, so about a solid two weeks, I kind of put into it, uh, and like, they asked me, what could I have done better? I was like, uh, I mean, I studied for two weeks. Maybe I could have studied longer and I would have done better, but I feel like as long as you have the answer, um, they don't necessarily, I don't know. I don't think they really care about it that much, but I feel like it's a, a point of weakness to ask you about. So it's just something to bring up. Um, but there are people that you will interview with and they have lower scores than you, but you know, you get asked the question, why is your GRE so low? So who knows what a good GRE score is, you know? So. So even with that, right. Jumping into those times for interviews, um, did you guys have a mix of in-person and virtual? Were they all virtual, uh, what kind of questions did they ask you um, or any types of tips when going in for those interviews? 
Yeah, I had half and half, half in person, half uh, virtual. The in-person interviews, they really do cost-wise that up. Um, so making sure that you are prepared for that. Um, have a piece of paper ready. Uh, I had one interview where they wanted me to use a piece of paper and take me on a journey. Um, it was explained to me, take me on a journey between from kindergarten to present day. And so for kindergarten, I had to draw a circle on the paper and show them the paper. Um, then I had to um, solve for Sokotoa and I, show, I showed him that. Um, and then he said, okay, we're done with the journey. And I, it was just a very, trying to get me off my toes and it, it worked, but you don't show that it was virtual. So it was a little bit easier, but um, also virtual interviews, if they are long days, they can be, you know, especially with difference in time zones. You may be starting at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and going till 4.30. And that is back to back to back going through Zoom room. Um, but some other programs, they were just spread throughout the day. Um, one program they had asked me, um, we talked about a research project that I was involved with. And then they said, well, let's take it a step further. You know, what's your design like? How would you change this? Um, does your null hypothesis change if you do this? And asking me like specific things about my project, but in such a way to ask me just to test if I knew terminology as it relates to research, because it was such a heavy in research program. Um, but for the most part, it really was very, your generic why ortho, what sets you apart? That's a big one. Uh, I feel like in interviews, you get this nod. And at least the way I perceived it was like the it was a good thing. It was a positive thing. If you respond in such a way that they like, they'll let you know in like a kind of way. And then they'll leave it at that. That's how I feel. That's where I matched. They liked my answers. Um, but um, again, like I said, I like the externships because of, I kind of already had my answers already formulated and um, with like, with already expecting what they may ask as follow-up questions. So I felt more prepared with that. Um, but also uh, from like a female standpoint, it was nice to be on externships because like you tried all the shoes, like you buy a new pair of shoes and like just doesn't giving you like, like those flats that just don't fit well, or you try out the heels, whatever the case is. It's nice to get that out, know what shoes worked, which didn't. And so that way I was very comfortable on interview day. Um, but yeah, other than that, no, like, uh, outlandish question. I mean, maybe like, it, you know, if you weren't a dentist, what would you, what were you going to be? Um, what qualities did you get from your parents? Um, yeah, nothing, nothing too crazy, at least in my experience. But, um, I think one thing, if I could go back. I would, I wish I made better relationships with the people that I was also interviewing with because those people will be future colleagues and it would have been nice to connect with them on Instagram or something. Um, so that, you know, in future AAO meetings, we see each other. Hey, I remember you from your, from our interview, but I didn't get your name or, you know, it's been so long. So, um, don't forget that part. They are, they are, um, definitely going to be in your future. Another question too, there was one, uh, program that was very that wanted us to talk about advocacy efforts as they relate to ortho. So be mindful of the fact that ortho could have a better presence at 
you know, pre-doc and pre-dental events and advocate on behalf of our profession so that we don't, you know, lose control over it, uh, over service that we render to patients specifically that general dentists and other, other organizations are taking over. Um, so being able to advocate and speak on behalf of your profession is really important. And they wanted to see that, it seemed. So I had a, a I had one virtual interview, the rest in person. Um, the virtual I didn't really like that much. I just I don't think you get to get the full experience, nor do you see. Well, actually, they didn't even take me to see the um, any of the facility. It just was a video. So those things you can kind of cover up what you want and you can show what you want uh, that I, I don't, I'm not a fan of uh, the in-person I think was more authentic. I got to see, um, you know, different technology they have, the cleanliness, uh, how they interacted with, you know, everybody from if they had a patient there to, uh, to staff and just how they work together to kind of, you know, make sure this is the environment for me. Uh, so I liked in-person interviews a lot better. Uh, a few things I did before I went, I really sat down with Taylor J again um, and kind of went over some, some of my answers uh, and, you know, got a perspective as to, like, some answers were okay, but how could I go deeper? Um, and it's almost like a, like a, debate match like you want to know um you know what's the follow-up to whatever your response was if you have an answer for something you kind of want to know the follow-up because you may get a question after that that you know leads deeper and you didn't necessarily think about it so um it helped me kind of solidify uh how you know take my answers from good to great uh, i took a piece of paper with questions on it um, because they always ask you, do you have any questions? So I don't want to sit there like, uh, uh. So I pull out the paper and I say, yes, I have a question for you. And if they were in a certain, um, over a certain department or um, they specialized in laser surgery or something like that or 3D printing, I had a, have a question for it already. So I'll just go to that section and I'll ask them this question. So that way they want to talk longer. Um, and my dad always told me, like, you know, the best interviews are when you make a person talk about themselves. So that was kind of like my strategy, uh, especially if it was a conversational interview and they're not trying to ask me too many questions. I just find out what they like and I say, me too. And we just get to talking about it. So um, and that kind of made everything go by fast. Like, if you have any nerves at that point, once it feels like a conversation, it just, you know, it alleviates everything else and it, it all goes smoothly. Um, trying to see if there's anything else I did. Uh, I connected with a few people that were uh, there with me. Some, some you, you know, some you want to connect with, some you kind of shy away from. Uh, other than that, I think that was like my main goal going into interviews. Just, oh, um, dress to impress from a guy's perspective. 
not trying out on different, not trying out, you know, a bunch of different shoes, just make sure they look nice. That way, because I did get a lot of compliments on my shoes, I got compliments on my suit, I got compliments on my tie. So you want to make sure like everything looks solid. Um, And and that's another thing I kind of had to think about. Do you want to, you know, be not not necessarily flashy, but do you want to show who you are and what you wear? Or do you want to be conventional and wear, you know, play it safe? Um, some people have the idea that maybe you want to wear, I don't know, I, I don't know if Christina may have, I don't know what you've heard, but like, you know, people saying wear what you have in the um in your headshot. Or uh or do you, you know, go all out and kind of show yourself. I took a risk, I took that chance and I was just like, I want to show them who I am and how I dress, because I think that is a reflection of you as well and your personality. So um for the guys i don't know about the females but for the guys you know don't be a little afraid to uh kind of show who you are and how you dress don't you know because if you look good you feel good you interview good everything goes well and smell good too always keep some good cologne so those are my tips for in-person interviews excellent excellent yeah you got to keep those with you right so I guess moving on into our last question, um, is there anything that you wish you knew before applying? Um, anything you would have done differently? I mean, well, probably not too differently because you match, but um, just anything that you're like, man, I, I know I would have definitely maybe even gotten more interviews or um, I would have, you know, went into this interview more confidently if I knew about this. Uh, any types of tips that you would give to the classes under us that are going to be applying to ortho to be in your shoes one day? Yes. As it would relate to the financial piece, I was, I worked with Sally May. There are, you know, many student loan lenders out there, but I worked with Sally May for undergrad and for dental school. And for me, it was just, you know, I thought, okay, let's do the same thing for, for residency. My program pays its residents. However, there's an enrollment fee of $30,000 due ASAP, which they they tell us that, of course, on interview day, you know that, but you don't know if you will be matching there or if you're not done with your interviews yet. Maybe you would like to rank another program higher. You just don't know. So it wasn't as if I was, you know, selling Girl Scout cookies to to raise the $30,000. So when I had matched, I, of course, you know, I, I'm thinking, how am I going to get this? It'll be easy because I'll just request the loan through Sally May. However, because it's a hospital-based program, it's not listed as one of the programs affiliated with student loan services, excuse me, companies. And so then I looked into private loans. And so then that's a whole nother, if you're taking out a private loan, it's a very expensive process. And again, I wasn't ready to start paying it off. So again, the reason I'm mentioning this is just to be mindful of these fine print, you know, things that may surprise you later on um, and trying to figure out, you know, do you have a family member that can lend you the money until you start making a salary in July? That is a big ask. And so trying to figure out what works well for you. Um, I just didn't realize how slow of a process it would be. Um, And so I wish that that wasn't a surprise to me. Um, 
but as far as things I would have done differently, again, I've thought about this all like often because you are asked, you know, what do you think set you apart? How do you think that you were different than other applicants? And really it's, um, there's just so many intelligent applicants every single cycle and it's very competitive and, and you feel very lucky on, on this end of things after match day. But as far as what I would do differently, um, I'm happy with how many schools I applied to. I applied to 22 programs, which was, a, again, a very expensive process. But I feel like it gave me um, more opportunities for interviews. I would follow Student Doctor Network to see, you know, which programs came out with interviews. And that was a very stressful thing. I wouldn't recommend that. But at least I knew, okay, I have this many programs left. Um, and I may have even applied to like 25 if I could go back. And again, that's to have options for myself. Um, that's the biggest thing because you are investing so much into, into this, into your future, that why not invest a little bit more so that you are at ease after match day? I think one of the, only things I would have done differently is, uh, like Christina said, apply to more schools. I only applied to like 15 or 16 schools. So um, I would have gave myself more of an opportunity, but I don't think there is anything I would have changed because I ended up where I wanted to be. Um, I'm kind of like the philosophical person in a sense that, you know, had I done anything differently, maybe I wouldn't have ended up, you know, exactly where I want to be. So um, I think just like people coming after me, apply to as many schools as you can possibly afford. Uh, don't be like me in the sense that sometimes I have like a, I guess I'm overconfident. So I don't, you know, I probably could have applied to a few more schools and been okay as far as finances but um but I'm just like you know um I think very not in a cocky sense but I just you know I've put in the work and I think I'm you know a good candidate to get in somewhere uh, I would also you know like save up for sure uh as early as possible if you especially if you come in knowing you want to specialize um for sure, save up as much as you can, because I, I know uh, sometimes I would pay back on loans and stuff. And that's, you know, like that's money I could have is given to me to support my dental career. Um, that's possibly money I could have used to apply to more schools, but in the end, I didn't have it. So um, that's something to think about. Uh, but other than that, I don't think I would change anything. But. I don't know how um, how real we get on this show, but I will talk about um, hopefully if, you know, like black males see this or, you know, minorities of any kind, just like, please apply to, you know, like specialty programs. Because on my interviews, I was like the sole black male everywhere I went. Um, there would be plenty of females of minority ethnicities but uh you know it's like I would be the sole minority in it and I'm okay with that I went to LSU so I'm like you know I was kind of 
you know, I'm already conditioned for that type of environment, but um, it just makes it hard and you kind of, it can, it can really make you feel out of place. So like if there's any way, you know, minority males could get into specializing or ortho or um, not being afraid to apply and don't really doubt yourself, uh, that would be my tad bit advice for people coming after me. Like, don't be afraid and kind of have that confidence in yourself regardless. So, yeah, that's my two cents on my experience. Oh, yeah. Um, I, Jared and I had an interview at the same program and it was like the best, the best. Like, I got the email for the invitation and then I got a text message from him and he was like, at the program. And I like dropped what I was doing. I ran over to his clinic and I like, I was like, Jared, let's go. Like, so excited. And it was nice to have somebody there um, to just be on that same crazy ride that is the application process. Um, also a tip that I forgot to mention too, if you can learn Spanish, um, I feel at, at every program they were talking about all this uh, Spanish speaking patients and um, the Arabic patients that they, they had seen all the time and patients from everywhere, but those were the big groups that they, they mentioned. Um, and so if, you know, if that's something that you're interested in, if that's something that you want to include, um, if you just are that person with extra time, uh, to learn a new language that would definitely be beneficial. Um, and I know Jared and I both talked about financial piece just to give an actual uh, representation of what exactly we were mentioning. For example, that uh, externship at the Mayo Clinic for a week with the flight, the food while there, and then also um, lodging, it was about $1,000. Um, of course, GRE, you know, paying for the GRE and studying materials for the GRE, that depends from person to person. Um, for the 22 schools, it was about $3,800. That's including no interviews. Um, and then per interview, it can vary. Um, it depends, you know, is your classmate gonna be able to drive with you to that location or do you have to fly or can you stay together? So that varies, but I definitely, I knew it was going to be expensive, but when you're looking at $10,000-ish, you know, um, if you apply, if you're like me and apply to that many programs. Um, that was a lot to, to, to swallow, especially when, um, you know, we are students. So, uh, like Jared said, definitely saving up, um, while you can. Absolutely. So, um, finances are definitely key, uh, when it comes down to, um, this application process for sure. Um, so if you're interested in specializing, please make sure you save up probably since what freshman year, if not before that, uh, just putting aside at least a little bit of, um, money, like, uh, from some of the refund check just to say, okay, this is going into like my application pot because yes, they definitely are expensive. I think it's what one eighty nine for the first application and then $89 additionally. Right. And then there's supplemental fees for some of the schools. And then on top of that, you know, you guys had in-person interviews. So there's that, you know, with lodging, possible flights, gas or rental car, food. It's the list goes on and on. Um, or scooters. Christine yeah, or scooters. scooters back. <laughs> Road scooters. Time, time to talk. Right. Ride a scooter. Exactly. Yep. Ride a scooter. <laughs> um 
but yeah, those are definitely um, some of the things there to consider if you are interested in applying to orthodontics or just any specialty in general. Um, but are there any closing remarks uh, from you guys? You know, where can the people find you? Where can they find us? Uh, well, first of all, enjoy like just taking in this last semester uh, because when you do match, it is a it, it's just like a, a weight off your shoulders that you could never imagine. So, we, but but that being said, just like Jared said, um, it's all about lifting as you climb, and so you know, making sure that as you keep on going and and following your dreams, make sure that you remember there's a class to come right after you. Um, so very excited to see where the next year takes everybody. Um, but yes, on Instagram at Christina underscore Aponte. So that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, Aponte, A-T-O-N-T-E. Uh, closing remarks. I don't know when this video will be posted, but good luck to everyone tomorrow. Taylor J. Um, and yeah, I really just... Same message as before, you know, everyone don't get so um, hooked on what the profession looks like, Mm -hmm. any of these specialties or dentistry in general, any health field, healthcare field, Um, you know, just stick your neck out and go for it. That's all I would say. But uh, I think my Instagram is at Fletch underscore dds f-l-e-t-c-h underscore dds if i'm not mistaken i'm hoping that's it but um yeah so uh if anyone has any questions about ortho anything of course feel free to reach out to me i'm a open book for the most part so Absolutely. Um, These two are definitely excellent assets. So feel free to reach out to them, DM them if you're interested in ortho or just want to make that connection. Um, But I do want to thank you guys for being on the show today. And again, congratulations on matching. Um, I know that you guys have been talking about ortho since day one. So so that's definitely an amazing accomplishment for you guys. Um, But that's all we have for today. Uh, Thank you for sitting with us at the table and be sure to stay flossing and keep flossing. Bye, guys. 